Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. We take on the problem of over-provisioning access to resources today. Not that you've ever, ever given someone more access to a thing than they should actually have because you were in a hurry and they were in a hurry and so you dropped them in that admin group because you just wanted to move on with your life. You've never done that. Of course you haven't, except except that you have, and I have, and Ned definitely has. Hey. Sponsor, <laughs> Sponsor StrongDM joins the conversation today to share how to properly manage roles and access in our IT systems, focusing heavily on the process of discovery. That is, who has access to what and why do they have that access? Joining us from StrongDM is Britt Crawford, Director of Product. Britt was StrongDM's first paying customer, and so you can say he went from customer to true believer. Britt, nice to have you on the show today. And man, we want to we want to jump right into this because okay, so so we set this up in the intro as as access to IT system. When we have these discussions, what an IT system is and the roles, et cetera, that brings up a lot of different things depending on context. So so maybe we should start there, Britt. Establish some some context for our access discussion today. Sure. First off, thanks for having me here. So today we're talking about how do you set up least privilege access with the least pain. Least privilege and zero trust are kind of the nirvana of access control. The hard part is actually not technology or security protocols or anything like that. It's answering the question, who should have access to what? And then setting that all up in a way that's easy to maintain and doesn't involve a dozen checklists and JIRA tickets every time somebody joins the organization. We also want to do it so that you don't have to SSH into 15 servers every time somebody joins your company and say, okay, now this person's in this group and they have these privileges on this database. And obviously, since StrongDM is an access control product, we can help. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. And Britt, when I'm thinking about access and who has access and why they have access, it can be kind of difficult to discover that information and make a determination on should they really have that access? So what are some ways that you might recommend of at least that first portion of figuring out who has access and tracking down why? So you get to a really good point, which is why is important. And it's not something that's easy to track. So you can go and you can look in Active Directory or you can SSH into a server and see who's in what group and what permissions they have, but that's not going to tell you why. And that kind of is the place that you need to start, especially when you're trying to establish a least privileged strategy where people don't have access to things they don't need to do their job. And so you start with the why. We have a playbook for what we call the access discovery campaign in which you go through and you look at all the access you have and you start to you start with just a really simple test case and say as a developer I need to be able to start EC2 instances to run integration tests on my code. And so that sort of defines a principle who's acting what kind of access do they need? You need to be able to start an instance not just look at what instances are available and then why are they doing it? And from that, you can start to understand who should have access to what and then build that up into larger sort of slices of access. Like this is this is the set of things that I need as a developer in order to test my code. And then from that, you can build that up into, into larger chunks of, you know, a role of what does a developer do and what do they need? 
Right. This sounds especially like I have to talk to a human to find this information. I can't just like do my thing as an introvert engineer in the corner and troll through a bunch of databases to kind of figure it out. You, you really are advocating for talking to people to find out the why? Yes, I really am. And unfortunately, you just kind of have to do that. Oh. Um, another way to find out the why that's maybe a little more antagonistic is just um, turn it all off. <laughs> see who screams <laughs> see who screams see what they're screaming about no there there is really no substitute for understanding and having a plan for who should have access to what there are a lot of great tools to put that into practice and make it easy to enforce and automate and audit and all of those things but ultimately there's no substitute for talking to people hmm. So if we're talking about access to a lot of different systems with different sorts of access levels to be mapped in the roles where we're baking in that why, I have to track that mm -hmm. in some way. So am I going to track this in, in like a big document? Because we're kind of gathering a bunch of you know odd data here. Or do you handle like each system individually? Like AWS is a different thing from, uh, I don't know, this Linux box that needs SSH access and certain privileges. So I would track this centrally, like I would have a big document to do this. And then something that we recommend is, is compiling, here is my access policy. You know, if you're, if you're a smaller company, a document's fine. Spreadsheet's a great way, great place to put this. If you're a bigger company, there are products that will help you out with it, including StrongDM. Um, but also when you talk about tracking, you're talking about things like cloud entitlement management, SailPoint, or even some of the newer breed of people who are calling themselves identity and access orchestrators uh, that'll provide uh, a high level view into what access people have. But system by system is going to be difficult because you're going to have to look in a lot of places. Um, generally, you want one source of truth where you can say, this is what the person should have. And then you can go check it against the individual systems and say, what do they actually have? So the document becomes a, a living permanent document that acts as that source of truth? Yes. As opposed um, to a, a data gathering starting point, and then you like use it as, okay, this is where I'm starting. I'm going to put all this into a, a system like StrongDM, let's say, and StrongDM becomes my source of truth. Yeah. So for instance, if you're conducting sort of the access discovery campaign, right, you're going to go out, you're going to create your test cases, you're going to roll those up into sort of slices of access, here's my developer access, then you're going to take those and construct them into a role. Uh, so this is the role of developer, this is the role of developer on the payments application. However, you end up dividing that access. And then that's going to get materialized into a system like Active Directory, or Okta, or um, something like that and what you're missing there is the why and and the semantic reason for the access and so that's where the document is going to come in it's going to say oh this active directory role exists for this reason right. and it represents a release captain or it represents a developer on the payments team who needs these resources you said something that kind of turned on a light in my brain which was the the idea that we're defining a role outside of individual services that might make use of that role. Because if I think of a role, I'm probably thinking of like a permission set for Azure AD or a permission set for, for AWS. And you're, you're thinking of it at a higher level where I have this role within the company 
and these job responsibilities. And then that's going to trickle down into these, whatever that turns into on the services where I need those permissions. But, and that could be roles that could be some other format for that platform. But you're talking about a role at, at a higher level where you need to define across multiple systems. Yes, absolutely. Um, it is it is more your job function. And we find that there are a lot of different ways that people um, divide up access, but there are kind of three primary categories that roles fall into. One is job function, developer, data scientist, uh, DevOps, whatever. Mm -hmm. Another one is sort of by team. You know, I might work on the analytics team, or I might work on the payments app team, or I might work on the API team, mm -hmm. and they will need different access. And then the final one is sort of a somewhat of a cross-cutting concern where you might have one special member on a team, like say a release captain or a QA engineer that exists. And that role exists on several different teams, you know, so it sort of slices across all three teams have a release captain, but there's only one on each. How do I become a release captain? I wanted like a cool hat and <laughs> you will. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Well, you have to be a release lieutenant first. Um, <laughs> okay, that tracks. Makes sense. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I do have children, so I can get away with dad jokes. Um, <laughs> we like those. So um, my, I have a question in regards to you know, Strong DM doing one of these discovery and, and assessments. You called it a campaign. So I guess we're getting back to that sort mm -hmm. of military terminology. We're conducting a campaign here of discovery for who has access to what. And when you go into a customer site, I'm just curious because you know, you've been invited there. Generally speaking, yeah. are their roles and access levels just, you know, are they ever right? Or is it always just a complete train wreck when you walk in there? It really depends. It's both. Occasionally you'll have somebody who's got it buttoned down and they know exactly what they want and who should have access to what, but most of the time it's evolved more organically. And so the larger the organization, the more time it's had to evolve and the more teams that have different control of different pieces of infrastructure, the more sprawl you see. Right. When you so. say organic, I think messy. <laughs> yes. Yes, and, and you can sort of really tell the difference between a company that's been around for a long time and that's been managing IT more manually and somebody who sort of grew up in the cloud era and has terraformed everything. You know, that... <laughs> if, they, if they began with Terraform, then chances are all that access is encoded in there somewhere. And it may not be perfect, but it's going to be a little more buttoned down. Yeah, yeah, they started from a different point, so that they they grew mm -hmm. that. I, it sounds to me, as far as access and planning and roles goes, a lot of it is defined by the organization's structure itself and the team structure. So, would part of your early assessment have anything to do with just looking at the organization and processes before you even try to define the roles? Uh, absolutely, and you have to look at you know where does ownership lie? You know, does the does the data science team maintain their own infrastructure or do they, you know, do they get that as a service from the DevOps team? Things like that are going to determine, you know, essentially how access is granted within that company. And it, in the end, because we're starting with this uh, sort of use case of, you know, 
as role, I need X to do Y. It really is about how that company works. And it really is kind of unique to each, uh, each organization that you go into. Back when I consulted Brit, um, I ran into a, a challenge pretty often where the, the the CEO of typically a small to mid-sized company thinks he or she needs access to everything. They just like, yeah, I should be an admin on all the systems. You're like, yeah, no, you definitely don't want that. And you definitely should not have that. And here's why. And sometimes it ends up being a, an uncomfortable fight because you're the consultant in there and it's like, do what I say or we'll boot you out. And but you know it's not the right thing. Is there is that still a thing today? And if that is a thing, do you do you have a strategy for telling that C level executive? Yeah, no, we're not giving you access to that. So uh, yes, it's definitely still a thing, and oh. there are a couple of different strategy strategies that you can use if you are if you're under a compliance regime. You can use that as leverage and say, "Oh, I'm sorry, I want to give you this, but the lawyers won't let me." We will absolutely fail our 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 SOC two audit or our SOCs audit. Another lever you can use is the security lever, which is, I don't know about you, but I get at least three or four emails and texts a week from my CEO telling me that he is um, offsite at a conference and he really urgently needs access to this and needs me to call him back. Of course, they're actually from my CEO and they're not just from a blind mail relay <laughs> or you know somebody <laughs> sending texts over Twilio, hmm. right? I get those spear phishing attempts hmm. legitimately several times a week. And they, if you if you look at sort of the history of some of the big hacks and data breaches, several of them result, including intelligence community hacks, result from uh, spear phishing the CEO. Hmm. So that's often a good way to say, like, boss, I am I'm getting this. How do I know it's you? Yeah, we don't want to say, boss, you you you're, you're too dumb to protect yourself. We can say. Boss, you're such a target. We just, we got to protect you, man. And the best way to protect you and protect the company you've worked so hard to build is to make sure you don't have access to anything. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, you're too rich of a target. We can't yeah. make that any richer. So there's one more thing, which is really the problem with that person having that access is not maybe that they have that access. I mean, if they're a you know technical founder, CEO, they probably know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, yep, yep, the yep. problem is it hangs out there, right? It's on their laptop. It's on their phone. It can be stolen. And so one tool you can bring in for this and for anyone else is just-in-time access. So great. Yeah. Whenever you need access to that boss, just send this ticket. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll give you an hour of access right away. And that's something we built right into StrongDM um, mm. is we have time-boxed access. So you can say... Oh, here's access to this database for 30 minutes. Here's well, that, access from Monday to Friday. That makes it easier to grant that CEO who's transitioning from technical founder actively in the code base and is slowly moving into executive duties where that takes up most of their time and but still allows them to to get through that that transition phase. So you're not taking away everything, but you are putting mm -hmm. some guardrails up to make it less likely that they're going to be you know, have a massive attack surface because they've just got automatically access to all this stuff. No, they can just kind of, as you were describing, Brett, I like that idea. You just check them in for a little while. And then when they're done, they check back out. Exactly. Then when that laptop gets left at the airport, there's nothing on it. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, just in time is, is super cool. And I'm glad to see that's part of the, the strong DM product. 
uh, because it's something that I've been using in Azure for a little while. They have like their own thing. Um, but it would be nice to have that functionality across systems that aren't just Azure. You know. <laughs> now yeah. let's assume we've gone through the discovery activity. We've we've looked at the team structure and the processes. We've defined our roles, and I've got my awesome spreadsheet. And I want to turn this into something that I can actually action on. How does StrongDM help me leverage that spreadsheet and turn it into policies I can actually apply to the services? Yeah, um, that's a great question. And I'm happy to be able to uh, hype up StrongDM a little bit here. Um, so we have two, two main features that are going to be really helpful in this. And so one is uh, we sync directly with your, with your directory system, be it Active Directory, Okta, uh, whatever. We can take all of that account and role information into StrongDM. So if you have you know, the developer role and the release role and the DevOps role, in Okta, that'll flow right into StrongDM. You'll get all three of those and you can get permissions appropriate to each one. And so then the thing that we have that, that really makes that directory information more useful and actionable are dynamic access rules. So attached to each of these roles, you can set up what access it has and you can define that by a set of essentially attributes of the systems that you're talking to. Right, because there's there's the actor, there's the authorization, and then there's the target. And so we can say, you know, Ned has access to all of the databases that are in the analytics group and that are hosted in Oregon in AWS US West 2. Right. And StrongDM can create those sort of little resource pools, those slices of access and keep them in sync as you add and delete things. Because one other problem you have with enforcing access is in the modern world of DevOps, you know, servers and resources are ephemeral. They're not unique. They don't live for a long time. Uh, they come and go. And so we provide the ability to synchronize and autom automate both the role information and then also the resource inventory information and make sure that they're appropriately paired so that you have the right access all the time. Okay. So walk me through like a workflow here. Let's mm -hmm. say, you know, I'm, I'm a brand new developer on the developer team. Mm -hmm. I just joined and I get added into an active directory group that's called analytics developers. How, how, mm -hmm. What would happen then on the uh, strong DM side and like the services side to maybe give me access to developer tools in Oregon AWS? Okay, so first of all, we would sync that information from Active Directory, and your account would be created. You would be placed into the analytics developer role in Strong DM, and then meanwhile, your admin has already set up the permissions that that role should have. So that role might have a rule that says. This person should get everything, every resource of type SSH that is tagged developer and that is hosted in the US West 2 environment. So you have this dynamic filtering based on resource type and then a set of tags, which are just like the tags that you're using inside your cloud provider to manage and categorize your infrastructure. Okay. Okay. So I, assuming I've applied the proper metadata tags to the SSH instances in AWS, now me, the developer, will just have access to those systems through the strong DM. 
Exactly. And as you bring new systems online, you'll be automatically granted access if they match the rule. And as they're taken offline, they're, that access is automatically revoked. But access is a generic term. We've just been talking about giving people access. But yeah, there's a lot of systems we're granting access to, and they have deep, complicated RBAC structures. I'm looking at you like I yeah. am and the cloud API from Google and the Slack API and Cisco AAA. I mean, the amount of things you can, what grant access could be translated to those RBAC structures is incredibly complicated, which is why we over-provision so often. Yeah, you can just have access to all the things because I'm not going to figure out what these 3,800 esoteric little detailed things that make no sense to me do or don't do. Can we in some way do it right so that we're giving people ac access in a very specific way that grants them the unique and specific permissions they need for their role or, or is it too hard? It is hard because there are, as you said, just dozens of different access control structures with different capabilities and each of those i mean even within aws iam there are i don't even know how many permissions thousands yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly um, yeah and so we you can over provision them pretty easily but you can do it right too by taking that and and sort of condensing it into much like we you know talked about a slice of access being a set of resources to talk to, you know, uh, these are the payments servers. You can do the same thing with a set of permissions and you can say, okay, I have these 15 IM permissions and what they represent is starting a test instance. So I'm going to make one role that says, okay, here, you're allowed to start a test instance. And specifically within AWS and Azure, that sort of Role con okay, so we're using the role the word role a lot of times because <laughs> they call it something else, but there is a notion of role assumption within all of the cloud providers. And this is a like a both a useful mechanism and a high-level concept, which is rather than logging in and having a static access grant, I log in and I say, okay, I'm going to start up a new test instance. So I'm going to assume this role for this purpose. Does that make sense and answer your question and get get towards it and so uh, having that same kind of concept within each of your systems and saying well this is the uh database reader set of capabilities this is the database administrator set of capabilities rolling things up like that and then assigning them there's a few different you build that you, you you put lego together you, you build some lego bricks that have the set of capabilities for a specific uh role i think uh, I want to say something you called those slices and the slices go into the role in uh, some of your blog posts on strong dm uh, talking about yeah this. that's correct and so you you snap the lego brick uh into um a, a role and then assign that person to the role but there although there is one you know piece of this i'm uh could use some clarification on how does strong dm fit into that uh that part of the access that is, if I'm dealing with AWS IAM, well, all of the IAM roles are enforced by AWS. You go against the AWS API and you do or do not have permission to do the thing. And that's where the enforcement point is. So if strong DMs kind of my, my man in the middle, so to speak, granting me access or not, what is the dis distinction between what strong DM is doing for me and granting access and what happens on the back end when I actually hit the resource I'm trying to hit? 
Sure. So StrongDM is actually delegating down to whatever target you're talking to for the end enforcement. So for the enforcement of that IAM policy, it's AWS. For the enforcement of a database role, it's Postgres. But what StrongDM is doing is you, Ethan, you don't have to know what role you are in. It's been assigned to you in StrongDM. And StrongDM is telling AWS, only allow Ethan read access to this database. I think also to, to Ethan's point a little bit, um, setting up those roles initially on the AWS side can be pretty complicated. Mm. Uh, and as you allude to, there's so many different permissions and it's really hard to get right. Fortunately, I mean, AWS does provide some built-in roles for mm -hmm. all the different services. That gives you a, a bit of a guidepost. Is there something similar on the strong DM side where you have templates or sort of predefined roles for various functions that people can use as a starting point when they're trying to build their role? Unfortunately, that's a complexity that StrongDM doesn't help you tame. Um, and that's just because our focus is on making that authorization decision and granting you the right access across as many systems as we can. And so we're talking to Kubernetes clusters, cloud providers, databases, SSH servers, and none of these things have unified permissions models. So we don't really have a way to surface that up to you inside StrongDM. Right. In no, the end, it's the target that's doing the actual permissions enforcement. No, that that completely makes sense. Yeah, that's when you think about the breadth of different services you're trying to cover. Yeah, just go with the built-in roles that those services have <laughs> and, and construct your stuff from there. And StrongDM yeah. will just make sure that it stays that way. Uh, Britt, I think you mentioned there was integration with StrongDM and, and a directory service. You've mentioned uh, Active Directory, you've mentioned Okta along the way. Can you explain what the role of the directory service is there? Is it like a store of metadata StrongDM is pulling from? What, what's happening there? Yeah, so the directory service is generally the system of record for who is in your company? Who do they report to? What's their role? Mm -hmm. All of that. Often it's reading from an HR system like Workday. It's also where you're managing all the things that are not going to go through StrongDM, like Office 365 licenses and Figma accounts and things like that, right? In, in the modern world, Okta or Azure AD is, is controlling authentication and access to everything. And so for us, it's that store of metadata about who you are and what role you're in. Often also the account to StrongDM itself is provisioned through that service because we are just another application inside your directory. So, you know, you get on day one, you get a Visual Studio license and Office 365 and StrongDM. Hmm. So assuming that we've set everything up with strong DM. We've got our accounts, we've got our roles. I guess one of the other benefits I'm thinking of is eventually my auditor is going to come along or an outside <laughs> auditor or somebody like that. And, you know, I'm beholden to SOX compliance or SOC 2 or, or whatever it is. What, what can I get from strong DM to help me show to them that I have my systems configured appropriately, that the roles are assigned and being enforced? Yes, you can get exactly that information from StrongDM. So you can just run SDM audit permissions and dump out exactly what access everyone has. And you can run SDM audit permissions at date and time and see what access they had 
at that particular moment in time. Mm. Well, Not dude, only that, very we can answer sort of this. It is pretty easy, and we've we've tried to make it as easy as possible. Um, we also provide information that will let you answer more complex questions like, what did Ethan do with the production database between 1035 and 1037 on May the 4th? I deleted it. And we can see exactly every <laughs> query that, yes, we can see exactly when you, you know, you ran that migration against production that was supposed to against development and drop the database. Not that that's ever happens. So actually, that that that's really interesting. In that, um, uh, if you back in the day, if you were running uh, some kind of Cisco TACX infrastructure, that was one of the things that you wanted to have an audit trail of what people were typing at the command line, so you could validate why in the heck mm -hmm. did a routing adjacency go down between the core and this edge router at this particular time? And then you could go back and trace all that and find that out. So having that store of data, you know, that trace of what actions were taken under what account is uh is really helpful so there's so i've got full history of everything anybody's doing if they're running through strong dm yes absolutely you've got full history you've got pixel perfect replay of rdp sessions you've got entire interactive ssh logs that can either be replayed as a movie or you can just search through the text we've also got records of everything you do to strong dm so if you grant access and then revoke it, we can see exactly who granted access at what time to whom, and then when that was revoked. And if I'm really clever and think I'm just going to delete the strong DM logs and cover my tracks, is that even, is that possible? It depends on how you have your logging configured, but no. So strong DM by default, it stores encrypted with us. You can, if you have other compliance requirements like GDPR and you need to keep your logs local, you can store them yourself in a number of ways. You can send them to a log aggregator, you can store them on disk. And so in that case, it's really up to you, but we do store a tamper evident log with strong DM in every case. So if you've deleted it or you've altered it, all of a sudden our anti-tamper hash won't match or there'll be one missing in your record. So you can tell that it's been changed even if you don't store logs with us. So one of the things that, that we, we're having to deal with here with this uh, source of truth, this big document that we were talking about earlier is that it's gonna get stale if you don't keep up with it. So what does a periodic review of that source of truth look like and and who should be in, involved in it i mean it shouldn't just be one person you know kind of alluding to the reasons you don't want one person to be in charge of everything they can change the logs cover their tracks and all that stuff so when we're auditing stuff who, who do we involve it shouldn't just be it people probably either i don't know what are your thoughts Britt? no i mean in the same way that you when you conduct the discovery campaign you're talking to representatives from each of the major groups who are using the infrastructure you need to do the same thing in review. You need to involve those folks. Even if, if IT or SecOps is leading um, the review, you still wanna talk to your developers. You wanna ask them about uh, like, hey, I noticed that there's this pool of EC2 instances running off here. What are those? Why did you start those up? Okay, let's get them inside. Let's get them inside StrongDM. Let's get them inside our access control policy. And a lot of this is about, and it's one of our main focuses at Strongium, is making this stuff easy. Like not just making it easy for an admin to enforce a very rigid policy, but also making it easy for end users to request access to things, 
for them to add new resources, the admin to add new resources to StrongDM so that your users can get to them. Because if it's too hard, people are going to go around you. There's going to be some AWS account that you don't know about that somebody's copied your entire data warehouse into so they can run, you know, or maybe so they can run it in Athena instead of the Redshift instance that you've got going. And you don't want that kind of shadow IT cropping up. So the way to do that is to be a good service provider and make it very easy for people to get the things they need to do their job. That does raise the inter- interesting question of how does StrongDM find out about new inventory that is being added to your environments? Do you, is there, do you have to manually add AWS accounts and, and Azure subscriptions to it and, and local resources? Or is there more of a dynamic discovery option? Right now, you have to tell us. We make it as easy as possible for you to tell us. Uh, we integrate directly with Terraform. Uh, we also have SDKs for pretty much every major programming language. Um, so that as you're creating your infrastructure as code, code base, you can integrate StrongDM right in there. So when you create the instance, you can also create the register, you can also register it with StrongDM. Okay, so if I'm using something that allows me to automatically generate new subscriptions or accounts or whatever the data type is, part of that automation process is and add it to StrongDM. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. Well, Britt Crawford, this has been a great discussion. It's been fun and enlightening in the sense of like, yeah, we can really get control of all of these systems and all these people and put them in the right place and not over provision their permissions. And at the same time going, this is a lot of work. It's going to be depressing. But I guess the whole point of this in a lot of ways is that StrongDM makes life easier to help with this. Uh, if you had some takeaways for people listening to this show, the like, g- g- give us three things, Britt, that you want people to especially remember from this conversation. Sure. The first one is There is no substitute for understanding what access people should have. And you have to talk to humans to figure that out. Hmm. You need to know who should have what so that you can enforce least privilege. The second thing is you need to take that and you need to put it into automation. If If you don't, you're going to be constantly checking checklists and all that work that you were just talking about that you're afraid of, you're going to have to do it. But if you can embody it in code and in systems configurations, just like you're building your infrastructure as code, then it's going to be really easy to maintain. It's going to be really easy to audit. And finally, StrongDM is a great option for this. We have a lot of ways to help you. Yeah. And if people want to find out more about how StrongDM can help them, they want to learn more about the product, uh, do some more reading, where would you recommend they go? Yeah, they can just go to strongdm.com slash packet pushers. Oh, perfect. Strongdm.com slash packet pushers landing page there. And uh, we'll have some other resources in the show notes of various blog articles and some other, there's a role in access discovery workbook that StrongDM offers. Uh, we'll have links to all that in the show notes and you can find the show notes at day2cloud.io or at packetpushers.net. StrongDM's got a YouTube channel and they're out there on Twitter and LinkedIn as well. And our very special thanks to StrongDM for sponsoring today's episode. Sponsors are how this podcast train keeps rolling. And virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you would, would you do Ned and I a favor? Would you tweet at day2cloudshow and let us know the topics that you want us to discuss? If you're not a Twitter person, you can do the same thing by visiting nedinthecloud.com and let us know via the form you'll find there. And if you like engineering-oriented shows like this one, visit packetpushers.net slash subscribe. All of our podcasts, newsletters, and websites are there. And it's all 
nerdy content designed for your professional career development. For example, we have recently launched the Kubernetes Unpacked podcast with Michael Levon, which you can find incubating in our community show channel. And until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. <laughs>